and welcome to another edition of the Bet Sports Beat podcast. In this edition of the podcast, we look ahead to the start of Big 12 conference play for the Iowa State football team and, and a quick look back at the Cyclones' season opening loss to their non-conference opponent, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. And joining me to talk all things Iowa State football on this edition of the podcast is co-host of the Stands and Fits podcast and managing editor of CycloneFanatic.com, Jared Stansberry. Jared, good to talk to you. How are you? Not doing too bad, man. It's uh, it's good to good to be on. Thanks for having me. Well, I I appreciate you uh, joining me and uh, giving me some time as well. Uh, so, looking back at uh, the season opener that occurred about two weeks ago uh, for Iowa State, uh, certainly an outcome that I'm not sure that I'm not sure a lot of people expected a 31 to 14 victory for Louisiana over Iowa State. Uh, I think. I think folks such as you and myself that that cover college football and cover the Cyclones, uh, you know, certainly understood Louisiana was coming off a great season last year, and by all accounts, uh, certainly, you know, had a great team coming back and a great foundation back. Um, on the Iowa State side of that game, uh, Brees Hall's uh, fifth career hundred-yard rushing game, uh, Kanana Wangu gets his first career rushing touchdown. But really, the story in that game a couple weeks ago, uh, you were there, of course, uh, covering it, uh, and so you certainly saw this as well. But really, the story looking back in that game, to me, was was Louisiana's special teams uh, with the punt return touchdown and a kickoff return for a touchdown. Just uh, go back, if you could, to the season opener about two weeks ago, and, you know, being about a week and a half um past that point now and and you having covered that game and being on the other side of it just kind of what what's what stuck out to you uh positive and negative as it relates to iowa state from that game yeah i mean i think when you look at the negatives uh the special teams obviously has to be kind of the uh the biggest one i mean as you mentioned it you know when you give up two special teams touchdowns in one game uh, I mean, if there's ever been a team that's given up two special teams touchdowns in one game and then and then still won, um, I mean, I don't know when it would have been. So I think that that's really the first kind of thing that you gotta you gotta point at. And then um, obviously you look at what Iowa State's offense did too. I mean, you have one injury to Trevor Downing there late in the first half where uh, it kind of got you off the rails a little bit, and um, you know Brock Purdy just never looked comfortable in the game. He didn't seem like his, his usual self. And, um, you know, I think that Louisiana did a good job of playing man coverage against a kind of green Iowa State receiving core that uh, maybe wasn't prepared for that type of situation. And, um, you know, so I think that – and then obviously you turn the ball over twice. One of them, a Brees Hall fumble that was in a, a key situation. And then Brock uh, backed up against your own goal line that, you know, really didn't come back to bite the Cyclones. But still, obviously, you don't want to turn the ball over like that. And, um yeah, I mean, I think that as far as negatives, like those are the two big things that you really got to point to. But then, you know, positively, I think that, uh, you know, I thought Brees ran the ball well. I thought when Iowa State had its, uh, the offensive line that started the game, I don't think that's necessarily their top offensive line because Robert Hudson was also sitting out. But, 
when you had that that group with Trevor Downing out there, they were able to get pushed. They were able to move the football on the ground. Um, and I thought that looked like the uh, baseline of a group that could end up being pretty solid this season. And um, you know, and then you look at the other side of the ball. I thought Iowa State's defensive line did a great job of being able to create havoc through most of the game. Uh, obviously, the defense really gave up only the one big play. Uh, that turned into a, a long touchdown pass. But other than that, they had Levi Lewis, who's a senior quarterback for Louisiana, had him kind of uh, out of sorts, had him scrambling around a lot. Um, you know, and I thought that you saw that Iowa State defense be exactly what we hoped it would be. Um, but I think that, you know, when, when you look at it, and that's where those first games are good, you know, because you can get some stuff on film, you can see uh, what, what you need to work on. And obviously Iowa State has some pretty glaring issues uh, that they're going to need to work on, mainly on, on special teams and as, as well as on that uh, on that offense. Yeah, you mentioned there the uh, big play touchdown uh, that came with 2.02 left in the third quarter, the 78-yard touchdown pass from Levi Lewis to Peter LeBlanc. And that that's that's kind of one play, um, you know, watching it all, of course, uh, from home. The, the big play touchdown there, the 78-yard touchdown pass, you know, late in the third quarter, I think, you know, with that play, not only the fact it was a big play, as you mentioned, but the timing of that play as well, um, you know, to, to to really kind of, well, it gave Louisiana the lead back uh, at 17-14. to 14. So a big play in terms of the fact it was a 78-yard touchdown pass, but the timing of that play and the fact it gave Louisiana back the lead as well. Yeah, and it really it got Iowa State on their heels going into the fourth quarter. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, through most of the game, I mean, Iowa State and Louisiana had kind of been trading body blows. I guess would be the best way to to put it. You know, it's a lot of if you go look at it as a boxing match. I mean, it's just it's jabs, it's body blows. Nobody's throwing, landing big punches or anything like that. And then that long pass was really the first big punch that that Louisiana landed that really kind of knocked Iowa State back. And it's like whoa, okay, you know, now we're the ones that have to be the aggressors. We're the ones who have to kind of take it to this team. And, um, you know, and then shortly after that, you get the punt return, punt return for a touchdown that makes it 24-14. to 14. Um, And then, obviously, Louisiana was able to, to get the final margin with a long touchdown drive to close the game. But, uh, you know, that's where I think um, – that, that game really swung on that play because that was the moment when all of a sudden the game was clearly not in Iowa State's control, which I think through most of it leading up to that, as poorly as Iowa State had played, you could probably say for the first, whatever that would be, 53 or 43 minutes of the football game, um, you know, they, they'd been pretty well in control of it. And all of a sudden you hit that long play and Iowa State's back on their heels and um, and they had to be the ones to kind of to turn things in, in another direction and they weren't able to do it. And you mentioned uh, Trevor Downing uh, left the game against Louisiana. I believe that was in the second quarter, if memory serves uh, correctly. Uh, you mentioned Robert Hudson uh, did not play against Louisiana and Charlie Kohler uh, did not play either. Uh, in the season opener against Louisiana, uh, what are you? What have you heard as far as from Coach Campbell this week and the various media availability, whether it be his weekly press conference or on the Big Twelve teleconference? As far as any updates on the status of those three uh, heading into TCU on Saturday? Yeah. So right now, all we've heard is that they they all remain day to day, and I, I mean I don't think we really know what that that really means at this point. 
uh, I, I think that they're hopeful that at least Trevor Downing will be able to play. Uh, but I don't think that at this point we, we know for certain. Uh, they're all going to make the trip. They'll all be there in Fort Worth for the Cyclones. But I think until uh, until game time comes, we're not going to have anything for certain. Uh, we're not going to know anything for certain, I suppose, would be the better way to put it. And one one thing that stuck out for me watching that Louisiana game, and and having watched this Iowa State offense in games where Charlie Kohler has played, and then in the Louisiana game, obviously watching a game where he didn't play, I I think I think a game like that, uh, referring to the to to the Louisiana game, is is that a game where. Charlie Kohler's importance to the offense, not only as an upperclassman, but just the level at which he plays, is that a is that a game where his importance in all facets of the offense, but also maybe the flow of the offense, is is that is that a fair assessment to say that Iowa State's offense flows different and maybe doesn't run as smoothly? When you when you don't have a Charlie Kohler in the game, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that uh, you know Charlie is by far Brock's most comfortable target, uh, which is understandable considering how much he's played and just the different dynamic that he brings to the table from Iowa State's other tight ends. Obviously, Chase Allen and Dylan Sainer are both really good players. Uh, but neither one of them has that offensive uh, pass-catching ability that Charlie does. Uh, and I think that you really saw that come into play uh, when Iowa State would have some trouble on third downs. Um, you know, and, and then, two, a defense has to be aware of where Charlie Kohler is on every play. You know, And that's just you, you have to game plan for facing Charlie Kohler. And as good as everybody else for Iowa State is, I mean, for some of those guys, it was their first career start, you know, and you're not in a position where um, you really have to be like, okay, we, you know, where's Xavier Hutchinson? Where's uh, where's Chase Allen, you know, or, or whoever else it may be. Obviously, you know those guys, you know what they're going to do, but um, but they're not quite that same game, they don't have that quite same game-breaking ability that a guy like Charlie Kohler does. And um, I think that we saw that, you know, when you if you're going to think about the most important players on Iowa State's offense, to, if Brock Purdy is one A, Charlie Kohler is probably one B. You know, and they need to get him back on the football field as as soon as they possibly can. And um, you know, because he's just he has such a massive impact on the offense, and it, it has such a massive impact on the way teams have to defend them. As it relates to the defensive line, obviously, you know, going into the season, I think you know fans and media members alike. Uh, knew there was a hole there in the defensive line with the uh, graduation of uh, Ray Lima, but in the season opener, um, you know so, some new faces uh, definitely made uh, a substantial impact. When you look at uh, uh, Joshua Bailey in a bit of a different role, um, and I, I'm sure there's other names there too uh, that I'm missing. But just your thoughts on the defensive line play and continuing to work towards filling that hole left by the graduation of Ray Lima. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that the defensive line proved that they're still one of the strengths, if not the strength, of Iowa State's defense. I mean, when you've got, you know, a couple ends that uh, have played as much as any Wazirike and Jaquan Bailey have, and then you throw in Zach Peterson into that mix. I mean, those are some cornerstones for that group that uh, have been around for a long time. I've played a ton of snaps for Iowa State. 
uh, and they all played to the standard, I think, that, that you would expect of them. Um, but then those new guys that slid in there, whether it was Josh Bailey, Latrell Bankston, uh, Isaiah Lee played quite a bit of football for him. Uh, I mean, they were they were disruptive. Uh, they were able to keep people uncomfortable. Uh, I think that you saw that Latrell Bankston uh, certainly showed that talent that made him the National Junior College Defensive Player of the Year last year at Hutchinson Community College. Um, and I think that he's a guy that, you know, is, is just based on that first game, looks like someone that could have a very, very productive career at Iowa State. And then you even throw in a guy like Will McDonald, who has just been on a tear in like the last seven games for Iowa State as far as rushing the passer. And, you know, I mean, he's on a pace that, you know, Jaquan Bailey is going to break the all-time sack record at Iowa State this season, but it would not shock me at all if Will McDonald breaks it and then not so di- breaks Jaquan's record in the not so distant future because that kid is as good a pass rusher as I think Iowa State has had since I've been covering the team. And um, I mean, that's a it's a group that you are going to have to be ready to go against every single week because uh, they've got a bunch of guys who can make plays. They have a bunch of guys who have made plays already for Iowa State in the past. And um, I expect them to keep doing it here in the future. I think that, that group is is stellar, and they played really well against Louisiana. And you mentioned there, Jared, uh, Latrell Bankston uh, coming out of the junior college ranks, uh, playing his first game as a Cyclone. Uh, another player that came from the junior college ranks and played in his first game as a Cyclone against the Raging Cajuns was uh, Xavier Hutchinson. Um and, you know, in, in some respects, uh, maybe it looked like a bit of a first game for him perhaps with, you know, a, a drop pass or two. I'm, I'm sure that he might uh, like back uh, when, when he reviewed the film uh, following that game. But uh, d- d- despite a drop pass or two, uh, led the Cyclones in receiving against the Raging Cajuns, four catches, 43 yards. Uh, your thoughts on his first game as a Cyclone? Yeah, I mean, I think that you saw where, uh, you know, I think Brock has already uh, gotten quite a bit of confidence in him. They really tried to get him the football, especially early in the game. Um, I think you'd like to see him be able to create a little bit more separation, uh, especially against that man coverage. But um, I think we saw everything that uh, that they've kind of, you know, that's been kind of coming out of the program about the, how good that that kid can be. And um, I expect him to only keep getting better. And I think that his role in the offense is only going to continue to grow as, as he goes along. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought that obviously it didn't go as well as you probably would hope. But I think that we saw the flashes of, of what we wanted to see from Xavier Hutchinson and, and what he can do here in the future for the Cyclone. And certainly against Louisiana, um, I, I I think it's a fair point to say that Brock Purdy didn't have his best game for you know for for whatever variety of reasons you know that might be you know I I think it's safe to say it wasn't Brock Purdy's sharpest game as a Cyclone against Louisiana. What are what are kind of the keys to uh, for for Brock, but also the Cyclones as a whole? To, to kind of jumpstart the offense uh, heading into league play Saturday at TCU? Yeah, I mean, I think he just needs to be more comfortable. He just looked really rushed. Um, I thought that he he looked like he was trying to force things a little bit too much, throwing into some coverage, throwing to receivers that, uh, that were not open. Um, you know, I think that that's what I'd just like to see from him. He needs to slow down. He needs to try and get back to being the Brock Purdy that – uh, that we've all enjoyed watching over the last, um, you know, almost two years. And, uh, you know, I, I think that he will. I mean, it, it, 
if there's anybody on Iowa State's team that can handle the adversity of playing a bad game like that, I think it's Brock Purdy. Um, and I imagine that these last two weeks have been full of a lot of self-reflection, looking himself in the mirror uh, in order to try and get things back on the right track and, um, you know, get this offense going uh, to the to the capability that it has. Obviously, we discussed earlier in the podcast the two special teams touchdowns uh, from Louisiana. Um, Have you been able to get a sense from Coach Campbell in his media availabilities this week if there's a concern level yet with regard to special teams play, getting ready for TCU, and getting ready for a league play? Uh, No, I don't think there's necessarily a concern. Um, But I just think that uh, you know, they know what TCU is going to bring to the table. You know, they're always going to be good defensively. Um, but I mean, I think you look at what they've got offensively and there's just not that much returning. Uh, is that concerning? Maybe. Uh, but I think that you can look at what TCU's done in the past and, um, and you're able to, uh, you know, get a pretty good gauge of what, of what they're going to be. Um, I mean, I, I don't think that, uh, anybody is, you know, hitting the panic button or anything like that about like, man, how are we going to prepare for this team or what are we going to do? No, I, I think that Iowa State feels pretty good. I imagine that last week was not a very fun pra- week of practice for them. Uh, up in Ames, I imagine that those guys, uh, you know, got their butts chewed a little bit and, um, you know, we're, we're getting really pushed to, to right the ship. And uh, I think that, I think that they feel good. I think that they're ready and, um, you know, hopefully they'll be able to show that on the field on Saturday. The, the old adage, whatever sports you're talking about, but especially as it relates to football, is is that generally speaking, teams make their biggest improvements from game one to game two. With Saturday, of course, being the second game of the season, what are you kind of watching for on Saturday? And, and not only Saturday, but beyond that as well. But specifically as it relates heading into the second game of the season on Saturday, what are the what are kind of a couple big key areas that you're watching for as far as improvement for this Iowa State team collectively? Well, I think the first thing is I want to see the special teams be better. Um, I mean, I just think that they have to they have to figure out a way to uh, to to shore those things up just because they're not going to be a very good team unless they can uh, get that stuff under control. So that's kind of the first one. Um, And that's obviously a smaller one, but uh, I think that it's something that's obviously very important. And it's, there's a reason that there's three phases of the game and that's that third one is just as important as the other two. Uh, So I want to see that. Um, I think that, you know, I'd like to see the offense. I'd like to see Brock look more comfortable in making decisions, you know, see the uh, receivers get a little bit more, uh, separation from their, the cornerbacks, which is obviously going to be a tough task because TCU has a, a really good secondary. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I think that I just want to see this be a more holistic team effort from Iowa State than what we saw uh, against Louisiana. The defense played really well, but they can't have performances like that from their offense if they if they want to be a team that can compete in the Big 12. Uh, they want to be a team that can compete for the Big 12 championship. It can't happen. And uh, turning that around has to start on Saturday down in Fort Worth. Um, and, and I think that, you know, they're having the two weeks. I imagine that they will have, uh, will, will make some strides. And, um, you know, I expect to see a, a much different Iowa State team on the field uh, Saturday against TCU. 
Uh, the game in Fort Worth on Saturday, a 12.30 central kickoff on Fox Sports 1. Uh, Gary Patterson enters his 20th year as the Horn Frogs head coach. Um, I know, I know, Jared, um, as part of your weekly features and things on Cyclone Fanatic, I'm, I have no doubt that you've scouted and looked at TCU top to bottom. So uh, I, I'm just going to kind of on this question uh, – Open the floor to you, and just uh, your 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 thoughts. And as you've looked at TCU on both sides of the ball, what can Iowa State fans expect with this TCU team? And where maybe are the challenges for Iowa State against this TCU program? Yeah, I, mean, I think any time that you're looking at, at TCU and a Gary Patterson team, then it's going to start on the defense. Um, and TCU has two really high-level players uh, at two. At, the two opposite ends of the, uh, or two opposite levels of that, of that defense. One of them is Ochan Mathis, who's a, one of the best defensive ends in the big 12, High, a very pr- uh, productive player, a disruptive guy. Um, and someone that, you know, the Irish state offensive line is going to have their hands full with. Um, and then the other one is Trevon Morig, who is one of the best safeties in the country. Uh, he'll be one of the probably top, I don't know. I'd say he'll be in early rounds of the NFL draft guy. I, I don't know the NFL draft well enough to uh, know all the safeties that are in that mix, but I know that he will be picked very early in the NFL draft. Uh, he's, he might be the best safety in the Big 12. Uh, if he's not the best safety, then he's right up there with Greg Eisworth at Iowa State. Um, and I think that those are two guys that you really got to keep an eye on. And, and you just know that any team that has – uh, Gary Patterson, as their head coach, is going to be solid on defense. Um, there's a reason that they've led the Big 12 in pass defense each of the last three seasons, and I read a story today that they hope to do it again for the fourth year in a row. They're going to have the pieces to do it. They're going to have the talent to do it, and they've got the coach uh, who's going to put them in the positions to be able to do it. Uh, the, when you look at the offense, that's where I think that uh, things really start to get cloudy with this team. Uh, they did name a starting quarterback yesterday with Matthew Downing, the uh, redshirt sophomore who started his career at Georgia uh, and, and then transferred to, to TCU, but has only ever taken a handful of snaps at the college level. Um, the, the, he's obviously stepping in for Max Duggan, who was a starter last season at Council Bluffs Native, kid who was pretty good last season, started to really come on at the end of the year. Uh, but he, you know, it sounded like about six weeks ago or so that he was going to be out for probably the entire season. Um, with a congenital heart ish, uh, ailment that they, they discovered during the COVID protocols and stuff like that. Um, and then Gary Patterson came out on Monday and said that he was back with the team and he was back practicing, which I think was kind of a surprise to everybody. Um, but still, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if you saw two or three quarterbacks for TCU uh, on Saturday. They're going to have five new starters on the offensive line. Um, I, I, I think two juniors, two seniors, and a redshirt freshman. Um, their receiving core. Tay Barber's coming back, who was, I think, their second leading receiver a season ago. Uh, but then you lose some pieces that are kind of around him. You're going to insert some guys that are stepping up into some bigger roles. Uh, and then you add in J.D. Spielman, who's one of the most productive receivers in the history of, of Nebraska football, transferred in during the offseason uh, and was granted immediate eligibility for this year. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, he was listed second on the depth chart today, but I, I expect that he will be uh, in there for the Horn Frogs quite a bit, give them a, a little, an opportunity for uh, some change-ups and stuff like that. And then the running back room, I think that they've got four freshman running backs uh, on their depth chart. And then I think the other one of the five that was listed was a sophomore. Um, and, you know, they're all – 
a couple of them have gotten a handful of carries here and there, and uh, but none of them have been you know ridiculously productive like that or anything in, in any time that they ever have been on the field so far. Um, and then you also have to keep in mind that they got Zachary Evans, who was the number two running back recruit in the country out of Houston last season. I don't know how big of a role he's going to play. He was the one, I think he was listed fourth on their, their depth chart, but I think they expect to uh, play a lot of those guys and kind of rotate in and out. I think that this is going to be a TCU offense that's going to try and run the ball early, try and run the ball often, and control the game and allow their defense to um, to kind of win it for them. It would not if the way that TCU will win this game in my mind is it is if it is very similar to the one that TCU and Iowa State played down in Fort Worth um, in 2018. And if memory serves correct, the final score was like 14 to seven or 10 to seven or something like that. It was a really low scoring game. Uh, that Iowa State just really couldn't move the ball. And it was, I think, the last game that uh, that Iowa State played before Brock Purdy stepped in as a starting quarterback. So if this game gets close to the, I think, the over-under is 45, if it starts getting closer to that number, I expect this to be an Iowa State win. Um, but I think if it's a really low-scoring game, then it could go either way in my mind. And a couple of interesting stats as it relates to uh, TCU that, uh, that I – quite frankly, did not know until uh, looking at their uh, media notes in preparation uh, for the weekend, but also in preparation to uh, speak with you this evening, and that is the fact that TCU has won its has won 18 straight home openers. Gary Patterson's 18-1 in home openers at TCU, and then additionally, in addition to that, uh, TCU since I believe it's 24 yeah since 2014 TCU has the second best conference record among Big 12 teams and third best overall record since 2014 so this is a TCU team under Gary Patterson that also knows how to win a lot of games clearly as well yeah for sure I mean I think that you look at the pedigree of coach Patterson uh, obviously turned them into one of the best group of or I guess it wasn't really the group of five at that time but uh, you know, non-Power 5 teams uh, prior to them joining the Big 12. I don't think anybody really knew what to expect for them, but they've hardly skipped a beat. I mean, it's it's they've been one of the best programs in the Big 12 for quite a while. Obviously, their big ailment has kind of been that quarterback position. Um, I think they thought they were going to have that back under control with Max Duggan, but, uh, you know, there's just other uh, circumstances that kind of came into play that have uh, has slowed that down, but um, yeah, this is a team that, that they always know how to win. It's a program that has a winning tradition, uh, and Iowa State's going to have their handful hands full if they come out and play the way they did against Louisiana. They're going to lose, um, and you know, I, I, I think that Matt Campbell knows that, and I imagine that all the kids in that building know that as well. Well, and another interesting fact: Gary Patterson, I mentioned earlier, entering his twentieth year with TCU's season opener uh, on Saturday. Gary Patterson is the second longest tenured head coach nationally behind Kirk Ferentz. Yeah, Kirk Ferentz, So uh, you, you mentioned certainly uh, you know, winning pedigree and things of that nature. Uh, I, I suppose part of that is you know, the, 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 20, the 19 years, starting the 20th year of Gary Patterson as head coach, and uh, I'm sure the continuity among that staff as well. Um, I'm I'm not going to ask you for a score prediction, Jared, because I hope our listeners will go to CycloneFanatic.com and read yours and your team's predictions uh, later this week, uh, along with all the other content uh, you and your teammates uh, 
churn out on a daily and weekly basis. Um, just uh, on a personal note here, kind of uh, straying away from the TCU subject uh, for the moment, um, the job that you and your teammates have done, uh, led by your boss and my good friend uh, Chris Williams, the job that you guys have done, um, you know, specifically as it relates to since the pandemic uh, in March, uh, you know, since things kind of started going crazy for all of us uh, in March and and the normal uh, changed uh, for all of us. The the job that you guys have done um, with regard to uh, creative content, the so, some new features that you that you all have brought to the table. Um, you know, really, it's just a, a, a commendable job, and kudos to all of you. And uh, also, uh, since I'm not sure I shared this with you yet on any of our phone calls previously, a a and my apologies to the for the belatedness on this, but uh, uh, congratulations to you for the uh, the managing editor uh, promotion as well. And that's a that that's that's a great choice by uh, Chris as well in that regard, in my opinion. Thanks, man. I appreciate uh, I appreciate you saying all that stuff, man. We uh, we really appreciate your support, and um, you know I'm, I'm pretty lucky to to get to work with some pretty cool people and uh, some people that don't back down from challenges and. Um, you know, I think that that's, you know, how we looked at it. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that there's a the great, great quote that Giannis, <laughs> Giannis Antetokounmpo, the two-time reigning NBA MVP, said after they lost in the uh, in the NBA playoffs, you know, uh, he talked, people were asking him about leaving Milwaukee and stuff like that, and he said some people go around the wall, He's, and he said that he wants to go through it in Milwaukee. And, um, you know, I think that we've got a group of people here uh, at Cyclone Fanatic that are, are grinders that want to go through the wall um, and not try and find an easy way out. And, uh, that's the only reason that, you know, we're able to, to continue having success, and um, I'm pretty lucky to, to get to work with them, and I'm, I'm lucky to uh, be able to work with a leader like Chris and, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to to the years to come, where uh, hopefully we can come out of this stronger and um, you know, be in an even better position to to keep delivering good stuff for everybody. Because uh, it's pretty fun. It's, it's I'm lucky to get to do it. Well, and and as I mentioned before, you know, you guys all do a great job. And if if you're listening to this podcast right now, and you and you consider yourself a a Cyclone fan, or you follow the Cyclones, if you consider yourself a Cyclone fan or follower. And you're not reading Cyclone Fanatic. I would absolutely encourage uh, encourage any Cyclone fan or follower that's listening to this that maybe doesn't or hasn't read much at CycloneFanatic.com to uh, to do that. But uh, we'll we'll close with the fun question here, Jared. Um, have you had an opportunity to hear uh, either of the? music singles that gary patterson has uh featured uh lead vocals on at all i have man uh, i think that i think chris has should be hired as gary patterson's publicist at this point uh considering how much he's been pushing those things out on social media and he put them again today in his column that he wrote on cyclone fanatic so oh yeah i've heard them and um they are they're surprisingly good for uh, a, a a guy who it seems like he's been pretty laser focused on football for the last 20 years so props to coach patterson and um hopefully he'll uh, there'll be a day when um all of us can can raise a beer in the air and and listen to to coach patterson up on the stage uh playing some tunes because uh he's he's definitely got a, a pretty solid path there if he ever wanted to go down it i think 
And I'll, I'll, I'll close with this for you, Jared. Um, obviously, TCU season opener. It's a road game for Iowa State. As I understand, there will be a limited number uh, of fans in Fort Worth at a reduced capacity uh, for that game. Um, just uh, two, two or three keys uh, in your mind uh, if Iowa State wants to get their first win of the season in Fort Worth on Saturday. And then also, I want to look ahead to a week from Saturday with Oklahoma coming to Ames. Uh, just your thoughts on if there could potentially be fans in Jack Trice Stadium for that game against Oklahoma a week from Saturday. Okay, so first with the keys, uh, I think the, the the first one for Iowa State is just going to be uh, establishing the run and then preventing TCU from being able to establish a run. If they can make TCU one-dimensional and you make Matthew Downing have to stand back there and throw, uh, then I like Iowa State's chances of really being able to put the clamps on that TCU offense. Um, Iowa State being able to run the ball just creates a whole other dynamic uh, where you can't just completely zero in on uh, on Brock Purdy. Um, and, and you can allow you know a little bit more pressure to be put on the secondary and, uh, and create some more openings. Um, and I think that that kind of plays into what I think is the second key, and that's just Iowa State's got to open it up a little bit more. They've got to open up the playbook. They, they can't be scared to, uh, you know, I think that the way Chris put it was that when, when Iowa State goes vanilla, he's got a, a taste for Sherbert. Um, and I think that that's what Iowa State's done a little bit too much in these season openers here recently, obviously this one. And then you, of course, remember uh, the game last season at Jack Trice Stadium that went to triple overtime against Northern Iowa. I think that Iowa State has gotten to, into a habit of being too conservative in those um, in those season openers. Uh, and they've got to be prepared to, to open it up a little bit more because TCU's going to be considerably better, I think, than both of those two teams that they've played. So that's another one. And then I think the last one, I mean, they have to be better on special teams. You know, the Iowa State cannot be in a position where they're giving up touchdowns on special teams when your defense is as good as theirs are, uh, or theirs is. And um, I think if they can do, you know, they can do those three things and they can do them effectively, then, um, then Iowa State will win the football game. Uh, I think that it should be a really fun one uh, for sure. As for fans at Jack Trice Stadium next Saturday, I, I, I'll i be honest, Josh, I don't know. Um, I, I would imagine that we will get an announcement here. If not in the next 24 hours, then it, at least on Friday. I mean, I think that they've got to be getting pretty close uh, to being in a position to, to do that. I hope that they can have some fans there. Um, I think that that would be a, a, a good decision on the athletic department's part if they're able to, um, you know, and I, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if they, if they did have some, uh, but I do imagine that it would probably be lower than the original number that they, uh, that they announced. So I would say stay tuned on that one. I don't think that we're probably too far off from getting some sort of announcement, uh, regardless, that's going to be a tough football game and it's going to be a big one on the national stage. Uh, especially if the Cyclones can get a win. On Saturday, uh, obviously, it's been put put in the six game uh, flex win or the six day flex window, uh, where either it'll be at uh, 11 a.m. Um, Central Time or at, at 6:30 p.m. Central Time on Fox or ABC, which means it's either going to be the big one on Fox or the big one on ABC, and uh, there's going to be a whole lot of eyeballs on Ames, Iowa, either way. So, um, you know, the Cyclones are going to need to be ready to go against a, a obviously a great team that appears to have another great quarterback and always has a great coach and. Um, if the if there can be however many fans there can be in the stands, if they can have some there. I'm sure that it would be a, a great help to uh, potentially being able to get a win over a, a team that looks like they're poised to compete for the college football playoff again. 